Hello, everyone. It is me, Captain Death, and it has been uh, quite some time since I last uh, spoke directly to you, my audience, and fellow listeners of Lots of Pasta. I'm in a bit of a sentimental mood. Let's just let's start it off that way. Uh, November of 2016, I first started this show with uh, several friends, and all we wanted to do was have some fun, smoke some weed, read some stories, keep it short, keep it simple, keep it from being serious. Five years later, I don't smoke as much weed. I'm not friends with everyone I originally started the show with. And I like to take the show a little bit more seriously. (laughs) It just goes to show like how much people change, how growing up kind of takes place in your 20s. (laughs) If, If there's any... Indicator, uh, I started the series when I was, uh, I want to say 23 or 24, and I'm now 29, and I just care more about how this sounds, about how this works, about the program in general, and I'm not going to get sappy or anything, you know, it's it's just a short introduction to a series I want to do. And I do say series because if you notice, this is part one. This is going to be a three-parter, and I'm calling this the anniversary special because originally my idea for the show was doing it by myself. Um, I always wanted to do the whole scary storytelling, reading, voice acting type of thing. Um, but I never, I never took the jump. I needed, I needed friends around me to tell me that they support me and they would listen to it. And for the most part, they did that (laughs) and they continue to do that. And I am happy for all the connections I've made, all the friends I've made on this show, all the episodes we've recorded, uh, good and bad. It's, it's just a history. It's a legacy. Uh, I constantly remind my friends that uh, when I am uh, long dead and gone, that I will have a plethora of throwback material for people to go through. So hopefully they don't miss me as much (laughs) because I have over like 300 hours of me just fucking talking (laughs) on the Internet uh, when you look at the YouTube and the podcast uh, in general. I do want to briefly shout out the last couple episodes. I had a lot of fun with Deputy Dewey on our first commentary track. I hope everyone enjoyed that. Um, Grab your closest copy of Hellraiser 
and give us a listen. <laughs> Sit on the couch with us, if you will. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Ramsey's Vanderslice. He uh, is getting back into his own content. Um, go check him out. He's featured on our YouTube channel. Go look at his stuff. It's it's fantastic. It is uh, it's the type of stuff uh, that will make you think uh, it'll make you laugh and it'll maybe even make you uncomfortable and alienate you from your friends and family. And that's exactly the type of uh, stuff I support. It's the reason why we are friends and it's the reason why we create content together. Um, without much further ado, this is the anniversary episode because it has been five years since I started this show and I kind of want to take a grassroots approach on this series. Um, I don't think I'm going to be joking too much. I'm not smoking. And I kind of just want to deep dive into a competent narrative. Um, this story has gotten a lot of praise recently. Um... I believe it is being adapted into a, a movie or a show or something. Um, I just know that when I when I first heard of the title and when I first Googled it, um, I know that it, it had a lot of hits behind it. It had a lot of support behind it. It's one of the more popular newer stories actually that has graced um reddit no sleep um and i think it makes me reminiscent it makes me nostalgic for the good old days you know uh, when this show was first starting i think i liked this title because it did remind me of um, where I used to live, um, which I always joked about in the first, I would say, hundred episodes um, recording in that house. Um, the house was haunted. <laughs> I can't say the same thing about my current digs, but I do know for a fact that someone died in the last house I lived in. And um, my parents currently also live in a historic house that was built in like the 1800s. So you can also assume someone died there as well. I mean, it's America. Someone's died everywhere on every spot of land. You, do, you don't get this far as a country without sacrificing the indigenous and murdering all other invaders. <laughs> so... Um, there is a little bit of um, context to the title, I think, a little bit. I'm not sure which way it's going to go, um, but it's a it's an interesting title and I am uh, ready to hop into it. So I'm not going to interrupt too much other than to talk about the series. It is going to be on the shorter side. I just want to keep it nice and sweet and uh, just kind of give it the best that I can. So without further ado, we used to live here from Reddit No Sleep. 
The family on my doorstep looked normal enough. Normal in a 1950s sitcom kind of way. Tall, handsome dad, petite, blonde wife. Behind them, three young, blue-eyed kids lined up by height. One girl, two boys. That's actually exactly my family. And I know that I'm already interrupting and I do apologize, but that's fucking weird. This was the type of family that showed up early to get the front row pew, and that's where you lose me, because we hated church. Hello, miss, said the father. Sorry to bother you so late. Hey, how can I help you? I grew up in this house. Oh, nice. He cleared his throat. <clears throat> Would you... Mind if we showed the kids around? Like, inside the house? He nodded. Show them where their dad grew up if it's not too much of a problem. Oh, I... I'm not sure. My girlfriend's coming home soon, and... The mother winced at the word girlfriend, almost like someone spat in her face. And I pretended not to see it. The father smiled. We'd only need 10, 15 minutes tops. Yeah, I just, we're still moving in and it's a bit of a mess and say no more. He put his hands in a little surrender and stepped back. This was all very last minute and thank you regardless. Muted disappointment fell over the kids' faces. We'll give you a proper heads up next time, he added. Might be passing through in a, another year or two. They all turned around and started back down the snow-covered driveway, watching them go. My ever-present, people-pleasing personality kicked into gear. Right on cue. Wait, I said. Fifteen minutes? The father looked back over his shoulder. Tops. My girlfriend Charlie and I had just moved in. A killer deal on a two-story at the end of a quiet suburban street. All surrounded by rolling hills and an old forest. <laughs> Barbie's gothic dream house, Charlie joked. It needed some work, but that was our thing. Fix up old houses, flip them, move on. Lucrative if you do it right. The neighborhood felt good, too. A young married couple from across the street, Harpreet and Miguel, even invited us over for a game night next week. An actual game night. Two married couples playing board games. Isn't that like the setting down in suburbia dream? Granted, Charlie and I weren't married yet, but we talked about it, and for some reason this house was starting to make that feel possible. Anyway, there I was, alone on a Friday night when this excruciatingly perfect family shows up on my doorstep. I followed them through the upstairs hallway. This room used to be painted blue, said the father, pointing into a green-walled guest room. He strode forward and his family followed. This room, he nudged open a half-closed door, used to be a library. Now it was just a storage room. Well, that's what it was until we figured out what to do with it. 
He kept walking, sharing a brief, mundane fact in each doorway, and then he stopped in his tracks as if remembering something. Turning around, he stared at the wall, puzzled. What happened to the dumbwaiter? The what? He placed a hand flat against the wall. Used to be a dumbwaiter shoot here. I... I don't know. He slid his hand down until it snagged, leaning forward. He squinted. Beneath the wallpaper was a square bump. A handle? Huh. He stepped back. Looks like somebody covered it up. He glanced towards the kids. There used to be a dumbwaiter shoot here. Went all the way down to the basement. They stared at him, confused. It's like a mini elevator, he explained. We used to use it for laundry. The kids nodded. Their mother checked the time on her wristwatch, then crossed her arms, impatient. As the father moved on, his family trailed behind. He stopped at the last room, a closed door, and reached out. He froze, silent. This used to be your Auntie Abigail's room, he said, studying the door like it was a sad painting and a strange gloom hung in the air. Sensing a private moment, I cleared my throat. <clears throat> Feel free to keep showing yourselves around. I'll be downstairs if you need anything. He looked back at me and smiled, grateful. I was downstairs now, hammer in hand, prying rusty nails out from above the fireplace mantel. Judging by the discolored rectangles on the wall, several small paintings used to hang there. But they must have been hung crooked, all shifted a bit too far to the right. And just as I retched out the last nail, the family filed into the living room behind me. The father strolled over to the basement door. Your grandparents used to measure our heights here, he said, running a hand over the frame's smooth white finish. I'll paint it over now, though. He tried for the handle. Locked. Looking towards me, he opened his mouth to speak, but in the kitchen, the oven timer went off. One second, I said, setting down the hammer. I crossed over and turned off the timer. The father blinked at me. Can we go into the basement? He asked, hands still gripped over a, gripped around the doorknob. Oh, shoot. I shook my head. Sorry, we're renovating down there. Lots of tools laying around. It's not exactly safe. Opening the oven, I pulled out a steaming roast. Well, be careful, he said. The lights are out, too. I set down the roast. No work lights set up. Not yet. His face twitched for the briefest of moments. Then, all smiles, he released the knob and backed away from the door. All right, no problem, he relented. I hadn't even been down there yet, but according to Charlie, the basement was a little fucky. An old labyrinth patchwork with extra bits added on over decades. According to the neighborhood legend, the house architect was a little eccentric, to put it lightly. All right, gang, let's head out, said the father. Don't want to overstay our welcome. He motioned his family into the foyer, but as they filed out, he meandered his way back towards the kitchen. Thanks again for letting us take a look around, he said. Meant a lot to the kids. No problem. Didn't look like it meant shit to the kids, but I kept that to myself. Lingering at the edge of the kitchen, he glanced back towards his family as if making sure they were out of earshot. Content, he turned to face me, curious. 
this this is kind of odd, but did you ever notice anything? A commotion in the foyer cut him off. Excuse me. He went to investigate. Intrigued, I followed. By the front door, the two young boys argued over something while the mother tried to calm them down. Where's Jenny? said the father. No response. The boys kept arguing. Where's Jenny? He boomed, voice resonating with sudden authority. The room fell silent and everyone looked around. No Jenny in sight. She she was just here, said the mother. Jenny, the father called out. No response. He sighed, rubbing his temples as he turned back to me. I, I am really sorry about this. Jenny, our youngest, she likes to hide. Hide? I asked. <laughs> Spontaneous hide and seek. We've been trying to correct it, but... Jenny, the mom called out in the background. We should find her easily enough, he continued. Gosh, this is so embarrassing. He shook his head, blushing. No, no, it's okay, he turned away. Jenny, come on out, he said, trying to hide the irritation in his voice. As the family searched the house, I wandered up to the front door and stared out the window. Now gentle snow was falling. Where was Charlie? She should have been home 30 minutes ago. I pulled out my phone and two missed calls, both from her, of course. I called back and three tones rang out, voicemail. Hey, Charlie, my phone was on silent. Call me back when... Upstairs, someone whistled. One of the boys had found something. Call me back when you can. Drive safe. Tucking my phone away, I hurried upstairs. The family stood huddled in the middle of the hallway facing the wall. Stepping forward, I peered over the mother's shoulder to see what they were investigating. A hanging flap of wallpaper had been torn back, revealing the dumbwaiter chute. Rusty metal door ajar. No elevator cart in sight. Fuck. This could only mean one thing. Jenny, the missing kid, was hiding in the basement. Flashlights in hand, the father and I descended the darkened staircase, so much for the basement being off-limits. The rest of his family lingered behind us, wary. At the bottom of the steps, the father looked around and huffed, his light scanned through rickety shelves, aging support beams, sagging cobwebs. Down here, the dad almost seemed nervous, like this place brought up bad memories. Know the basement well? he asked. Not really, I said. Charlie's more familiar with the layout. Charlie? Oh, yeah, that's my girlfriend. Right. Don't think I caught your name, by the way. Eve. That's a good name. I'm Thomas, my wife's Paige. You can just call the kids uh, Headache 1, 2, and 3. He glanced at me, expecting a laugh, so I managed a polite chuckle. Squatting down, he swept his light over the floor. She's probably in full-on hiding mode now. We should split up, cover more ground that way. I furrowed my brow, skeptical. You have to be quiet. Thomas pushed off his knee to stand. If you see Jenny, just try and grab her or she'll run away and hide again. She's fast. His voice strained with the exhaustion of having done this one too many times. You're sure? Just grab her? Yeah, it's fine. It's all part of the game. 
Looking to his right, he whispered, I'll go this way, you go that way. He nodded to the left. Sure, I replied, still unsure of this plan. He turned and disappeared around the corner. I moved left and was greeted by a long, empty hallway. Creepy. I trudged forward. This sucks. And Charlie was right. The basement was fucky, all sorts of nooks and pockets. Rounding the next corner, I shone light into a garage-like room, mostly empty, save for a row of metal shelves, and sitting in the far corner, a coat rack beside a dozen or so empty picture frames. A cold draft pushed through me, shivering. I stepped forward, and, and something clattered against the concrete. Startled, I turned to look, and across the room, a tin can rolled over the floor. A mess of nails and screws. Great. Now this stupid kid's going to step on a rusty nail, get tetanus, and the parents are going to sue us. I strolled over, set the flashlight down, and used my hand to sweep the nails back into the tin can. And as I swept, the flashlight started to roll away. Uneven floors. Nice! I set my foot out to block it, and... Something in the beam of light caught my eye, or rather, hundreds of somethings. Ants. A trail of black ants marching along the bottom of the far wall. Fantastic. Add pest control to the unexpected expenses list. Frustrated, I grabbed my flashlight and slogged over. The ants led around the corner, deeper into the basement, all marching in the same direction. Is that normal ant behavior? Aren't they supposed to march both ways? Vague memories from a Nat Geo documentary echoed in my head. Shrugging it off, I followed the trail. I rounded the corner into another long, uninviting corridor. The ants trooped into receding darkness. I could almost hear their little feet tapping against the concrete. Where were they going? Curiosity building, I crept forward. Halfway down the hallway, they took a hard turn into a makeshift wine cellar. So I stepped inside. Stone floor, arched brace ceilings, old empty barrel racks. This room almost looked medieval. The ants ran in a straight line towards the furthest back corner, disappearing out of sight. I crossed over, hunched down. They filed into a crack at the bottom of the wall. What's on the other side? I raised my flashlight and behind me, two quick footsteps scraped over concrete. I spun around. About twenty feet away, in the room's entrance, stood the father, back turned. His posture was strange, almost rigid, arms straight at his sides, flashlight aiming at the floor, motionless. Hey, I called out. No response. I stood up and glanced around the room. He was blocking the only way in or out. Thomas. Silence. That was his name, right? Clearing my throat, I stepped forward, a growing pit of dread in my stomach. I was about to call out again, but he started whispering, talking to the blank space in front of him. What are you doing down here, Abby? We've been looking everywhere for you. Thomas, I said louder now. No response. He just kept talking to dead air, exasperated. I'm not sure how much longer we can do this, he said. I thought you were on board. I moved closer, reached out, 
touched the back of his shoulder and holy Christ, Thomas spun around, setting a hand against his chest. You're, you're a quiet one, he exhaled, catching his breath. I, I, I stammered, still in a bit of shock. Collecting himself, he chuckled, almost gave me a heart attack. I called for you like three times. Who are you talking to? He stared at me, sincerely confused. Come again? You were whispering. He shrugged, unsure what I meant. Disturbed, I looked back over my shoulder just in time to glimpse the last of the ants receding into the wall. Any luck? He asked. Turning back, I shook my head. He nodded. Yeah, me neither. Caught a glimpse of her, but she slipped away. Anyway, we should head up. Jenny will get spooked down here soon enough. Put up the white flag. I agreed. Besides, now I just wanted to get the fuck out of this basement. Upstairs, the rest of the family sat around the living room fireplace comfortably. Battle of the wills now, said Thomas, and his wife gave a slight nod. Still unsettled, I wandered off into the foyer by myself. Why weren't they more concerned about their missing kid? What just happened in the basement? And more importantly, where the fuck was Charlie? She should have been here like an hour ago. I pulled out my phone and the front door swung open and Charlie stepped through. I'm late. Roads are shit. Getting shittier, she said, shaking off snow. What's up with the moving truck? The what? There's a one ton parked at the end of the... As if to answer her question, the father stepped into the foyer. Charlie shot him a puzzled look. This is Thomas, I said. He grew up here as a kid. He was just showing his family around and... And now our daughter is playing solo hide-and-seek in the basement, he said apologetically. Oh yeah? My brother used to do that. She shot out her hand for a shake. Name's Charlie. Charlie Bastion. They shook hands, a firm, single shake. Charlie was my emotional polar opposite. Chill with everybody, confident, extroverted, trusting and direct. Good at setting boundaries, too. Any hidden rooms or ghost stories we should know about? She asked, hanging up her jacket. Thomas cleared his throat. It's uh, <clears throat> a ghost-free house, he smiled. Anyway, don't let us spoil your night. She'll give up any minute now. Never seen her hold out too long. We can go sit in the truck if you want some space. Charlie scoffed. Sit in the truck? You might as well just join us for dinner. I, I think we'll be all right. We had a big lunch. Lunch? Come on, join us. Eve always makes more than enough. Thomas smiled, tepidly, looking like he didn't want to impose. Part of me wanted to grab Charlie by the arm, tell her to drop it, but I didn't. She hadn't seen Thomas's whispering episode in the basement. And that being said, maybe I was overreacting. Had a bit of a reputation for doing that. Sure. He relented, but only if it's not a problem. He glanced over at me as if he was checking for my approval, but I just shrugged and looked away. Wouldn't be offering if it was, said Charlie. The fireplace crackled. Wind outside billowed. The creaks and groans of the old house filled the silence. Minus the daughter, we were all seated around the dinner table now. Charlie reached across and grabbed a wine corkscrew. Maybe the kid will smell the food and give up, she said. 
chuckling softly, Thomas picked up his fork and... Thomas! hissed Paige, his wife. He set down the fork, cleared his throat. Would it be all right if we said a quick prayer before eating? Charlie shot me a look. Not wanting to impose, he said. This is your house, after all. Yeah, it's it's okay, I said. Grateful, he smiled. Bowing their heads, they shut their eyes. I never had a problem with prayer, grew up in a religious household myself. I still value some of the lessons, but for every great lesson, there was something that made me question who I was. Paige cleared her throat. <clears> throat> We'd like to thank Eve and Charlie, the hosts of this house, for allowing us to eat with them. Considering how traditional this family appeared, I would have expected Thomas to lead the prayer. But as Paige prayed, I glanced over at Thomas, and his eyes were wide open, staring blankly at the tablecloth in front of him. He looked distant, almost out of place. Was he even religious? I mean, down in the basement, he took the precious Lord's name in vain, so... Page continued. We'd like to thank God for our health, our family, and our friends. We thank you for allowing us to have a fresh start as we move cross-country. Amen. Amen. I mumbled an old reflex back from the dead. Charlie shot me another look, this time with a playful smirk. I glanced away, embarrassed. So you're moving, huh? Twisting the cork out of a red wine bottle, Charlie poured herself a glass. What prompted that? Needed a fresh start, said Thomas. Where to? asked Charlie. Oh, downstate. This is delicious, by the way, Paige cut in, looking at Charlie. It's really appreciated. Don't thank me. Eve's the master cook tonight. Charlie held up the bottle. Wine? Thomas shook his head. We don't drink. Very wise, said Charlie. She glanced at the two boys. Listen to your parents, kiddos. Paige smiled, opened her mouth to speak, but a techno cover of Beethoven's Fifth cut in. Dun 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 dun! Charlie pulled out her phone. My bad. She muted it, and she went over to put it away, and the screen caught her eye. Oh, shit. She held it up for me to see. Notification. Dangerous driving condition along the number five connector. Winter tires recommended. Hmm? said Thomas. Roads are getting worse. Charlie tucked her phone away. Hopefully the kid shows up soon, huh? She will. Just give... Gotta... Just gotta give her her space. Charlie glanced at the time. Looks like she's going for the hide-and-seek record tonight. You guys got winter tires? I used to drive long-haul trucks year-round. We'll be fine. Charlie grabbed the salt. There's some tire chains up in the attic. We'll be fine, he insisted. Paige looked at him, concerned. You sure it's worth risking? Mouthful of food, he half shrugged. Paige, deflecting Thomas's indifference, shifted topic. Are you married? Us, I asked. She nodded. Charlie almost scoffed. <laughs> nope. Paige nodded again as if to say I expected as much. Are you religious? She asked, looking directly at me now. What? Me? No, not really. I mean, I used to be. I only asked because I noticed a Bible in the living room. Oh, that was a gift from my parents. We used to go to church together. 
Smiling tight, Paige jabbed her fork into the roast and started sawing with a steak knife. What about them? Who? I asked, starting to feel interrogated. Your parents, do they still go to church? Yeah. What denomination? Lutheran. And they're aware? Her eyes flicked to Charlie, then back to me. Aware of what? Paige glanced at her children as if the following words might be too much for their innocent ears. Aware of you and your friends. Lifestyle choices. They are. Lifestyle choices? And they accept it? Uncomfortable, I opened my mouth to respond, but Charlie cut in, chewing on a mouthful of roast. What about yours? <laughs> Paige looked at her. Hmm? Your parents, they know about your lifestyle choices? Paige furrowed her brow. I don't understand what you're getting at, she said pointedly. Paige, Thomas intervened. That's enough. Paige stared at Charlie for a long moment, but Charlie didn't break eye contact. Finally, Paige looked away and returned to eating. <laughs> How fucking rude. You come into someone's house, impose over dinner, eat their food, and then fucking offend them. Only, only the religious, really. I mean, I nothing against God or God-fearing types. It's just like, know the time and place, all right, to impose your values on others, okay? As a chronic conflict avoider, I was actually relieved when Thomas stepped in. But Charlie, she was chomping at the bit, ready to fucking battle. Had I not been there, she would have gone at it until Mary Magdalene started crying. I was only curious, Paige relented. And right then, a blistering gust of wind slammed against the windows and the house lights flickered. Thomas looked over his shoulder. Hopefully the power holds out. He turned back to the table. Went down all the time when I lived here he said, trying his best to change the topic. The rest of the meal dragged on in tedious silence. The table had been cleared, the kitchen had been cleaned. Now I was leaning over, setting kindling into the fireplace. Outside, it was a full-on blizzard. Wind whipped the quick-piling snow into a frenzy. Thomas had already gone down to the basement several more times, but still, no Jenny was in sight. I still couldn't shake how calm he and Paige were about it and calm might be an understatement, it was boarding on apathetic. Eve, said Thomas, stepping into the living room. Yeah, I replied, crumpling a ball of newspaper kindling. Know any nearby motels by chance? Nothing close by that I can think of. Silence hung in the air, almost like he expected me to say something more. And I continued. I mean... Worst case scenario, you guys can crash here for the night. And I regretted the words the second I spoke them, but in my defense, their daughter was still missing. What was I going to do? Send them off into the blizzard? A kid short. Are you sure? He said. We wouldn't want to impose. We can sleep in the truck, too. You've already done so much. No, it's fine. Well, thank you, Eve. I'm sure Jenny will show up soon, but just in case she doesn't, this really means a lot to us. We can compensate you financially for all the trouble, too. It's okay. But sure enough, Jenny remained a no-show.
about another hour clicked by until the family until the family finally retired for the night the two boys into an upstairs guest room thomas and page into adjacent bedrooms despite being married they didn't sleep in the same room yikes i almost felt bad for them Alone at last, Charlie and I shared a blanket on the living room couch. The warmth of the fireplace filled the room. Charlie leaned forward, grabbed a bottle of wine off the coffee table, noticing the hammer and bent nails from before. Took out the nails, I explained. She looked up at the empty wall. From above the fireplace? Yeah. What? That's where I was going to hang our crucifix. I smiled. Stop. Leaning back, she twisted the bottle opener into the cork. You seem on edge tonight. Is something up? I mean, besides our new roommates. I just... Something feels off about them. Agreed, but something feels off about everyone to you. She popped the cork out and started pouring herself a glass. I know, I just... I need specifics. Before you got back, Thomas and I were in the basement looking for the kid and... Charlie finished pouring, set the bottle down, and looked at me attentively. She used to say I overreacted to things, but lately she'd been working on her empathy and active listening skills. The effort was appreciated. In the wine cellar, I continued. I heard footsteps, and when I looked back, the dad, Thomas, he was just standing there, back turned, blocking the entrance. I called out like three times, but he didn't respond. He just kept whispering to somebody named Abby. I think that was his sister's name, but there was nobody there, and then he just snapped out of it. So he was standing in a doorway whispering? Was he, like, talking to his daughter, maybe? No, no, her name is Jenny. I don't know. I said, maybe I'm overreacting. What do you think? About the family? Yeah. Charlie took a long sip. To me, casual bigotry aside, she handed me a glass of wine, they seem pretty unremarkable. Or at the very least, I doubt they're going to murder us in our sleep. As Charlie shifted her weight, a shiny glint caught my eye and I turned to look. She was wearing a new necklace, a thin silver chain with an oval locket. What's that? I asked. It's a necklace. I rolled my eyes. Charlie reached down, popped open the locket, and held it up. Inside was a photo, a blurry picture of me hiding my face behind a single hand. I remember the moment instantly. When we first started dating, Charlie always joked about how less than zero photos of me existed. I was notoriously camera shy. I still am. So one day, Charlie, with a 35mm Pentax in hand, snuck up from behind me but I saw her at the last second, so I turned away and I held up my hand and hid my face. It was a close call. Charlie clicked the locket shut. It's the only known photo of Eve Palmer, she said. When did you get that made? Today, in town. Little cheesy, huh? No, I think it's sweet. Charlie was never the sentimental type, but I was a big sap, so the locket was a welcome surprise. We stared into each other's eyes for a long moment, and then, behind us, Thomas stepped into the living room, groggy, rubbing his eyes. He glanced down, surprised to see us there. Hey, Charlie said. Mind if I sit? He asked. Sure, I relented. 
Yawning, he wandered over to the armchair beside the fireplace and slumped down. Flickering shadows danced on his face as he looked around the room. His eyes seemed to fill with memories. After a long, ponderous silence, he finally spoke. My parents, they used to make us stand in that corner over there. He pointed across the room. He called it the, called it the quiet corner. Chuckling, he leaned back in his chair. His eyes caught the bottle of wine. <laughs> May I? Go for it, said Charlie. He leaned forward, grabbed the spare glass, and poured. So much for not drinking. Trouble sleeping? asked Charlie. Setting the bottle down, he nodded and took a sip. Your kid should give up soon enough, she assured him. He nodded again, detached. They're not even ours, he said, looking into the fire now. They're my wife's deadbeat brother-in-law's kids. We adopted them. Uncomfortable silence. <laughs> Uncomfortable silence. That's good of you, I offered. <laughs> I guess, he shrugged. Didn't have much of a say in it, though. Taking another sip, he turned away from the fire. I'm sorry about my wife's comments earlier at the dinner table. He smiled grimly. I never got the obsession with people's personal lives. Pretty sure Jesus had more important things to worry about. Charlie and I nodded, appreciating his effort. At the very least, he seemed well-meaning. He chugged the rest of the wine and set the glass down. Anyway, I'll let you be. He started to stand, but... Earlier, I said, you wanted to tell me something. Thomas stared at me, puzzled. Before your daughter started hiding, you asked if I had ever noticed anything. I clarified. Oh, he said, understanding now. It's, it's stupid. He waved a hand. It's nothing. He turned to leave, but wait, said Charlie. Now I'm curious. He sighed. It's... It's just weird things happened here when I was a kid, is all. What kind of weird things? Charlie never believed in ghosts, but she sure as hell loved hearing stories, and so did I, and so do you, and so does Lots of Pasta. I mean, I don't think it's haunted. Thomas paused, debating whether to share more, and relenting, he sat back down. He let out a long sigh, and then... <sighs> We'd been living here about three years when... My sister started to believe the house was... Changing. She'd wake up not recognizing her own room. Said weird things like... The walls were a different color now. The furniture was getting swapped out, but... She was the only one who could see it. And to everyone else, myself included, it was just the same house it always was. He paused, rubbing his square chin with a knuckle. Mom and Dad told her it was just nightmares, delusions, but then... She started forgetting faces. People she'd known her whole life became strangers. He sighed regretfully. Our parents never took her to the doctors. They didn't believe in that. They believed in prayer. 
So we tried that for about a year and a half or so, and then she just vanished. Thomas went silent, eyes flicking back and forth across the far wall. One winter, she just disappeared in the middle of the night. Police did a three-day search. Nothing ever showed up. He shook his head again. But about one week later, a witness came forward and said they saw a young girl down by the river that night standing on the Kettle Bridge. Cops said she probably jumped. Case closed, right? Made sense to my parents, but I just... He furrowed his brow, weighing his next words carefully. It's strange, but part of me wondered if she ever even... Thomas paused for a moment. Despite all the searching, all the diving teams, they never found anything, and I just... He stopped himself again and then looked towards us. Anyway, that's about it. He said with somber finality, eyes apologizing for the dark story. I, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that, said Charlie. He gave a slight shrug and turned towards the fire. Guess I thought coming back here would bring me some sort of closure, but... He trailed into silence. Muffled wind, aching creaks and groans from the house filled the empty space. I didn't know what to say. Thomas's gaze drifted up to the blank, paintingless wall above the fireplace mantel. His face twitched ever so slightly. Anyway, he said, I should get back to sleep. He pushed up to standing. Good night. Night. He drifted out of the room and went back upstairs. Charlie waited a moment to be sure he was gone. What the fuck? Fair enough. We went to bed shortly after, and Charlie was out in five minutes flat, but after hearing that story, I lay wide awake, staring up at the stucco ceiling. Considering what happened, why would anyone bring their family back here? How was he even sleeping while his daughter was still missing? I couldn't shake any of this, but finally, after two hours or so, I somehow managed to fall asleep. A distant clang snapped me awake, I sat up, listened carefully, wind outside, clock ticking, Charlie breathing. Okay, you're fine. Climbing from bed, I stretched up my arms and shook out my hands. Maybe the dad's story was getting to me. Either way, I needed a glass of water. Downstairs in the kitchen, I sipped lukewarm tap water from a tall glass, ruminating on the strangeness of everything. When will that stupid kid finally show up? Across the living room, the basement door was wide open. Maybe the kid finally caved. Setting down the glass, I crossed to the top of the steps and peered down. Uninviting darkness. No thank you. I was about to close the door when, at the bottom of the stairs, a small silhouette, motionless, child-sized, enveloped by shadow. Jenny, the missing kid. I squatted down to appear less intimidating in the same way someone does when trying to coax an unfamiliar cat. Hey, Jenny, I said, almost whispering. Your parents are really worried about you. Do you think it might be a good time to come back upstairs? Her head tilted, but otherwise she remained motionless. Now I could see the slightest glimmer in her eyes, reflecting the moonlight. 
A long silence dragged by until I realized something else. She wasn't blinking. Ten, maybe twenty seconds had gone by and she hadn't blinked, not even once. What the hell? And then, as if reacting to my realization, the figure slowly rose to stand, and it wasn't child-sized after all. It was only hunched down. Now, standing at the full height, the person at the bottom of the stairs must have been six feet tall. In one quick motion, I jumped upright and slammed the door shut, and then I scrambled upstairs with record-breaking speed. No fucking thank you. I shook Charlie awake. What? She mumbled. There's someone in the basement. Charlie blinked at me. Yeah, the kid. No, an adult. Charlie shook her head and reluctantly pushed up to sitting. How do you know? I saw them on the stairs. They were tall. Charlie sighed. I could tell part of her wanted to believe me, but mostly she was just tired. In her defense, I had a long history of freaking out over things that turned out to be nothing. Was it dark? She asked, trying and failing to sound patient. Yeah, but... Eve, she said, I'm exhausted and still a little drunk. Can we figure this out in the morning? Charlie, I know what I saw. I know I believe you, but not enough to look around the basement at three in the morning. I... I didn't want to let go, but Charlie was close to her breaking point and barely awake on top of it. Okay, I relented. Maybe she was right. Maybe it was just a trick of the light. Maybe my paranoia was getting the better of me once again, but... Charlie rolled away and dozed back to sleep. I sat up beside her in bed, staring at the cracked open door until... I finally fell asleep, too. I'm going to stop there because I feel like that's a good place to stop. Like I said, this is a, this is going to be a quick series. I'm not trying to drag something out. It's it's just as long as if I had told an entire story uh, with Django Phillips in one episode. But I want to cut it up. I want to cut it up and talk about it because the story has a lot of uh, support behind it. So. Basically, we got the um, the new house, new new homeowners stereotype, the uh, the cliche of uh, setting into somewhere new and foreboding. Um, I can't say I hate it. I like it a lot, actually. Um, I know how it feels to move to an unknown and mysterious place. Um, the title is on the nose. I can't tell if it's trying to be any more subtextual or contextual. Uh, the we used to live here, like it's just a byline that the father said to get himself in the door. But maybe there's more there. I, I assume there's more there because there's uh, going to be two more parts of this story. So um, I hope everyone is enjoying it because I'm going to continue to read it. <laughs> and um, it's it's written very well. It's written competently. The dialogue is interesting. Um, I, I almost feel like I should be reading it with someone else. 
um, just so that the dialogue differentiates more, because I really didn't interrupt too much. There's just like with the way this one is written, there's overlapping dialogue between people, but there's also thoughts that are happening like internally in Eve's head. So like as she's saying something, she sometimes has like a a sentence that follows that she says to herself. Um, and that can be a little confusing when you're not looking at it. So I do apologize about that and about the dialogue, I guess. Um, I'm trying to make my voice sound different enough from person to person that hopefully you can connect the dots. Um, I haven't been bad at that before, so I hope everyone's still following along. Um, we have regular, a little bit more timid voice for Eve. We have like regular kind of like attitude -y voice for Charlie. We have like a stern, like almost Patrick Warburton voice for the dad. And then we have like a very tight and cross light voice for the mother uh, page. And the kids haven't said shit. And it's probably because they're ghosts. <laughs> I don't know. Let's let's make a guess. Um... This almost reminds me of the We Are Still Here. I love to reference that that horror film um, with with a wonderful ending. <laughs> um, we Are Still Here is a is a ghost story about people who have a house and everyone tries to tell them that it's haunted and they don't believe it until they die. <laughs> and ghosts, uh, ghosts haunt them and kill them and kill everyone they know. And it's great. And um, I can't help but think this is going to go a little bit in that direction. I don't think it's going to be as on the nose of like, I'm going to kill you and kill everyone. But like it, it, it it's going to get spooky. And you can tell that because of how the story ended there. The the we used to live here factor, the kind of like house of leaves, the, the daughter thinking the house always changed until it gave her uh, mental illness. You know, all of these things kind of lead um, in different directions, but to, to the same outcome, which is spooky, <laughs> spooky, spookies, spoopy spoopos are happening. Um, there might be spirits in the house. The family might be spirits. The family might know about the spirits and they're just not letting it on. Um, there's something more going on here and I'm ready to unpack that. And I hope you guys are ready to unpack that with me as we kind of approach our five year anniversary. And I hope everyone is doing well. Um, and with that, I will see you next time. Wait till the days end when the moon is high A little rise with the tide with the lust for life out Unless an army of a heart is a whore And then we'll look across the land until we stand at the shore I'll wait till days end when the moon is high And then I'll rise with the tide with the lust for life out Unless an army of a heart is a whore And then we'll look across the land until we stand at the shore